Hey, to everyone who listens to Combo's Court across the globe, we're right here, man, and I appreciate you. Combo Nation! <laughs> what up? What up? What up, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Combo's Court, and I am Combo. Don't forget to rate, review, punch down on that subscribe button. Another draft episode for your earphones, your car, your AirPods, wherever you listen to Combo's Court. Share this episode, man. Share it with a friend. Share it on social media, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. You know, you could tag me on those IG stories, take a screenshot of this episode, post it on your IG stories, tag me at 1-2-Combo on Instagram. That's O-N-E-T-W-O-C-O-M-B-O. Today's show, Adam Stanko, the new VP of content and executive producer for 24-7 Sports, joins in. It's always great talking draft with Adam Stanko. Adam has formerly worked with ESPN, where he actually advised them on the NBA draft. It's always great having Adam on the show. You can find Adam on Twitter at NaismithLives. That's N-A-I-S-M-I-T-H-L-I-V-E-S. Intro music by Luca Beats. Let's get into it. of content at 24-7. He'll be an executive producer as well. Well, I guess the job started, right, Adam? It, it started. We're here. It we actually, here. Tell, look, me, tell me more about the job, man. Tell me more. Well, I appreciate it. So I guess right now we're recording this on uh, a couple days before before I start. I actually start on Monday recording on a, on a Friday. Um, it's been amazing. It's been amazing, this uh, this opportunity that's that's popped up for me. So I was a fan of 24 seven sports, you know, from afar, the, the mm-hmm. recruiting rankings and what they've done on both basketball and football side. And, and then of course, like all the team sites that they have and everything, and it's a CBS property. And I was, I was really excited. And then um, just, just about following along 24 seven anyhow. And um, yeah, like we, there's going to be a 24 a seven um, digital channel that's coming out um, okay. at some point. And so Originally was we talked about that and if I could take on the role of overseeing a, a you know this digital channel that, that would pop off. And then um, you know, as as the job was posted and, and I started going down the line and interviewed with 15 different people, um wow. it ended up being really for for leading the the troops there. And there are so many talented people. I mean, you know, the, the recruiting people, the writers, uh people at the top, Steve Wilfong, Brandon Huffman, uh Eric Bossy on the basketball side, like so many Evan Daniels just left there to, to become an agent. And I just been so impressed with a bunch of different people with, you know, whether it's on the football side, guys like Bud Elliott and even and the people behind the scenes doing great work. So I'm just excited to get, go be a part of this organization, you know, and try to take us to the next level. So they're already well on their way, but I'm excited to see what we can do in the next, you know, couple of years and stuff, maybe, maybe increase some of that NBA draft coverage. You know what oh, I mean? That'd be great. That'd be great. Contacts, you know, yeah, for sure. Congrats, Adam, man. I'm really happy Thanks, for you. Um, Thank you. How does Thank this you. compare to what you did at ESPN? Is it something similar or do you think it's a little bit different? Well, so so I spent, you know, I spent seven years at ESPN and was working my way up through the ranks there and, and trying to make my mark. And then the last seven was at Pac-12 Network. And I had a chance, you know, the last couple of years to oversee our, our studio production team. So overseeing producers and associate producers and all that and actually was the last standing uh things may change now but i was the last standing like full-time studio employee we went to sort of a freelance model and so that was a challenge you know at post-covid and all um but there were super talented people there but i think i mean look i I have to start in order to in order to know what i'm what i'm up against and what the future looks like right but but i think that you know it's a step up in terms of the amount of people i'll be managing and the departments i'll overseeing and really getting into some things that you know, with studio for a long time, like I have expertise in that, or at least, you know, I think that I do, you know, that I know how to produce shows and I know what it takes to put a show on the air and and what graphics should look like and things like that. Now I'll be managing and overseeing some, you know, different writing aspects or, you know, the recruiting world or, or these, these team site publishers and stuff where they have all the expertise, you know, I can't pretend to come in and say, Oh, I know more about Arkansas football than these experts, you know, that live it, breathe it every day. So it's all about 
understanding, but, you know, really it's about putting people in, in positions for them to succeed and maximizing their, their talents and abilities and, you know, being a point guard, really, you know, you know coach on okay. the floor or maybe even a coach, let, let's call it that. But, you know, coach isn't the one getting out there and, um, you know, blocking lobs to DeAndre Ayton. But, for sure. you know, for but sure. you want to put your guys in the best position to succeed. So that's what I hope that uh, that I can do with the with the organization. So it should be fun, though. I'm I'm pumped. I appreciate you asking me about it. And uh, yeah, it's 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 going to be great. It's going to be it's going to be a lot of fun. That's what I'm hopeful for. Really happy for you, Adam. Looking forward Thanks to seeing that. more. Um, you're here to talk NBA draft. You've been doing this for a long time. You advise ESPN on the draft. Um, you've seen a lot of trends throughout the years. We've yeah. seen high school trends, right, where we drafted a whole bunch of high school players. We've seen the international trends. Uh, we had a one-and-done trend. What trend do you think that we're currently in? Is it the analytic era? What trend do you think we're currently in? I know that's kind of hard to see when you're actually in it, but yeah. uh, what trend yeah, do you think no. are we in now? You know what I, you know what I'll say that we're in? We're, um, we're in the character trend. Okay. We're in teams caring and organizations caring about, about how does a guy fit chemistry wise into our organization and not just on the court. That's part of it. Sure. But it's about how's this guy going to fit in the locker room? What's his work ethic? Like, uh, how much does he care? What's his, what's his passion level? Uh, is he a grinder? Does, does he give everything that he's got, but also how is he as a teammate? Is he charismatic? Does he inspire others? Uh, and, and in saying that what's wild is the last few years, I know people talk about, you know, what guys are doing athletically at the combine, right? What are their measurables? How'd they shoot? How'd they play on the court? But really what teams are caring about is they've watched a lot of tape. They know about these guys ceilings and stuff and athletically guys might jump out. Some guys may surprise and move up or move down, but, but really they want to talk to the kids and get to know who are these people and, and really what are they going to bring to my organization? Because even as long, far as like, you know, a decade ago or five years ago, talent would reign supreme and sure at the top when you're talking about tier one guys sure it, it still it still does but beyond that it's you know does this guy show up to uh to give us everything he has every day and the amount of research and homework these teams are doing in terms of these investments is huge and you think about the way that they're bringing in 19 year olds the one and done era and, and young kids now into into the fold they know they have to have a certain amount of, of like gravitas. They, they have to have a presence about them that they're going to be okay, a confidence. And plus they, they have to be able to understand their roles and stuff. And if you get some kid that comes in and he's a disaster and he's not working hard or he's not a good teammate. Well, now you've, you, the clock's ticking. You got three years to figure out whether you're going to keep them or not. And then you just wasted your first round pick. And that's, that's a huge part of, of your, you know, rebuild for high draft picks in a lot of cases or, or established organizations. Like, is this guy going to fit to help us win over the next couple of years? So I think that to me is, is what I think is the biggest trend that I've sort of noticed that, that I've seen that's changed in the draft. Yeah. It's a problem you don't want to have, right? You have so many problems within the organization <laughs> just on the day to day, you don't want another problem. So that kind of makes sense to me. Combo, think about this. Think about this. As a guy that that knows so well and you played overseas, the one thing I hear from a lot of coaches and front office people is just how smart NBA players are. And I don't yeah. think they get the credit they deserve for that in terms of the plays that are being run, in terms of understanding different defensive schemes, scouting yes. reports, understanding guys' counters and counters off their counters, the whole deal and the amount of work that goes into that. And then when to sort of take things over on their own and just so go kind of free flowing and stuff. I think the, I think that the average fan doesn't understand. They might understand the work ethic to some degree. They may understand the athleticism and the size if they're at an NBA game, but I don't think from afar, they notice just how smart. And I'm sure you can speak to that even, even greater than I can. The defensive concepts are just so intricate. No question. No question. And I think that part is, is huge. And, um, you know, coaches have known that for, for a long time, but I think you start to factor that into when you start, you know, character, I feel like is oftentimes that the terms misused. And oftentimes I think it has some, some uh, subtle undertones and, and, and meaning behind it. But I think the thing is that the teams do their homework now and they care about, you know, how hard kids work. And I, I, I was recently at a workout, saw um, Davion Mitchell and Keon Johnson down in Southern California. Um, and those guys, man, like, they are pros, pros. And my guy, Don McLean, who I, I, I say I always go down every year, check out his workouts. He's a close friend of mine, UCLA's all-time leading scorer. 
um, Pac-12's all-time leading scorer, Don McClain, but he also is the preeminent NBA draft workout guy, get, getting guys ready for team workouts, you know, and, and, and he gets the CAA guys who come through and really just transforms, you know, what, what they're going to be ready for. He doesn't change their shot because there's not enough time. He's got about six weeks and he doesn't mess with that. It's all about what are team workouts going to look like and how do we turn you into the best version of yourself for that team workout within six weeks and gets them into the best shape of their lives. Um, and there's a whole nother workout component and stuff that's, that's a part of what they do with this company called proactive Ryan Capretta, who's, who's great at what he does. And they've worked with everybody. I mean, Paul George, Donovan Mitchell, D'Angelo Russell, Carl Anthony towns. Um, you just go down the list. I mean, Luke Kennard. I mean, the, the list, John Collins the list is just endless of great players that, that they've had Devin Booker, but really the thing is, is that he gets them to change sort of their mindset and gets them to understand that they need to be pros and that um, that's all about the work ethic and, and the time they put in the care to the craft of it all. The detail that's involved is just remarkable. And um, and I say all that to say Don said to me that that uh, Davion Mitchell is the most professional guard he's ever had. Um, at the, and it's like his, every day, like his work ethic, just his understanding, his toughness is, you know, he's got a lot of dog in him, but he also is not a talker in the sense that, you know, he's talking for show. I mean, he just understands his game is super efficient um, and just the work that he puts in is incredible. And then Keon Johnson, same thing. And, and they had told me before Keon left for the um, for the combine, they say he's going to shatter the, the vert record. So we knew that coming in. <laughs> And, and that did. was remarkable. And he actually, they told a funny story. They said the guys that work him out, like I said, Capretta and his team, they're a proactive in, in, Cal, in uh, Southern California. They said they actually added some inches on his vert based upon just like his form. But you uh, can't yeah. even, but, but you can't even give all the credit for that because he still broke it by like two and a half inches, you know, the free. Right. That probably, get, that probably gave him an inch or so. Yeah. Yeah. The kid's a freak show. And, um, you know, both those guys, though, just seeing their level of professionalism. And what I mean by that is like just how they listen and the, the, the care that they have towards the process. I mean, one of the things that they'll do is like Don works them like it's two and a half hours, let's say. And it's it's just like intense and it's rarely any breaks and it's constantly pushing themselves mentally and physically. And one of the things they'll do is go through some drills and as they're working on stuff, then he'll say to them like it's a progression, like. You know, it's like dribble handoff stuff into a pass. Then they receive a pass back, shoot a three, whatever. And they're just working. And there's, they're all working in, in conjunction with each other. And usually there's like five, six, maybe 10 guys in the workouts. But as they're doing this stuff and they're going through, Donald then ask them. They'll do it on the left side. Then they'll do it on the right. Same progression. And he'll ask them like, hey, what's the next thing? What's the next progression here? What's the next one that we're doing? Checking to see where they're at mentally as they tire out you know, and constantly right. checking that. And like I said, Davion Mitchell and Keon Johnson have blown him away in terms of the work ethic that they are both uh, Davion Mitchell's really shooting the ball. Well, Keon Johnson as well. Didn't get a chance really to do that at Tennessee. So those guys have stood out in a big way to him. He's been raving to me about them. So there's a more of an emphasis on offensive and defensive concepts than even maybe the individual talent or skill, right? Absolutely. It all comes together. And the detail involved in just what he teaches them about, like, you know, uh, different things like triple threat position, like where their ball placement is and what Don's constantly working them on is stuff like, you know, when they need to take a shot and, and when's going to be a good shot in situations. One of the drills they'll do, for instance, is they run two on two in a half court, but they split the court in half. So they'll play left side of the court two yeah. on two and you can't cross over what would be a dividing line of course there isn't one on a court but right. what would be the middle because that, that simulates all defense in a way exactly and yeah. exactly and so a lot of it's like you know obviously all pick and roll and then and then what's the the pick and roll coverage that they're doing how much are they talking on defense because you you know when it's two on two is you know it's all it's all working in uh in in uh and it's a symbiotic relationship. And so you think about all those things. And then it's a lot of him stopping drills and saying, Hey, you had that shot. You had a foot and a half of space at the NBA level. That is all the time in the world. If you don't take that shot, then you may not get a shot another for another four or five possessions, you know, down the court or, or what have you. So, you know, you might get pulled because like, if you're not taking that shot, what value are you, or you're not a threat to the defense and what have you. So it's those 
intricate details that aren't just, hey, let's run, you know, 10 straight full court layups, you know, lefty layups. Or, or, or just get into this tangible combination move. Like, exactly. You know, how we exactly. see everybody working out these and days. I, and, and I want to ask you about that. I want to ask you about that because I was curious. You tweeted something out the other day and you said how you're noticing playing in Europe the concepts that are taught in Europe about playing pick and roll style basketball in the IQ, as opposed to the dribble work that's put in, in terms of the individual work here. Can you, can you tell me about, I'm curious um, what, can you expand on that for me? Cause I'm, I'm fascinated by that. Yeah, most definitely. I think it's not even about the pick and roll only. I think that was an example. I just think they're more into concepts, into concepts and team concepts than maybe individual skills, even though, they do a lot of individual skill work, but I feel like in America, skill development is almost like its own sport. We might be doing these drills that really might not translate. And I think right. in Europe, they do a better job of that. And also like, you know, from a very young age, they're getting these defensive concepts down really early. Like if you're not in the right spot, the coach will stop the practice. They'll scream at the guy. And I don't see that as much, you know, with 10U in America, right? Right. It's more about right. let's get up and down and get buckets and the individual style of play and what we see on TV. So I think they just do a better job of teaching concepts than maybe individual skill development, which obviously individual skill development is so important. And I think that's the one advantage they have. But, you know, the best players in the world still come from here. But I think there are some things we can learn from overseas and in Europe and in other parts of the world. No doubt. Is, is there is there an example of a practice or something that you had that that you felt like, oh man, we're spending a lot of time, but you're learning, you're learning. Yeah, and it, and it used to be annoying because they used to continually stop when we were playing, right? It was annoying at the time, but now you see that because you're building habits. You're building smart habits on defense and offense, and you have to get it right every single time to build those habits. Mm. So yeah, it's just a more, to make it simple, a team style of play. Like everything's about the team and it's less individualistic, right? And also it was a soccer influence on Europe too, which I think made it more of a team style of play, but you oh. know, the best players of the world still come from here. I just think we could do a better job of teaching team concepts from a younger age, like the stuff they're teaching that McLean is teaching these guys. Yeah. I think you could teach that to younger kids if you want. Absolutely. And he does actually, his, he's got, his sons are actually really good players and his, his youngest, I mean, is going to be the kids going in in ninth grade. He's already six, five um regularly yeah. knocking down threes has great understanding he's gonna be like he's gonna be like a mini don i mean he's coming man this kid is gonna be insane um he's gonna be a tremendous prospect as his youngest it's it's uh just a freshman but um yeah it's 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 wild how um trent by the way is his is his name trent mclean um it, it's wild to to see this and just the detail again like just even ball placement like again like uh, understanding, hey, if you leave the ball here, you're going to get it poked away. Or if you have the ball down low, um, triple threat, like you're not going to be in a position to shoot. You got to keep it up higher so you can just have a quick trigger ready to go. Because I think he does such a great job of getting these guys and the ones that are already close to being where they should be, where he knows they're going to impress in, in team workouts. Then it's about how do we get them ready for summer league? Because really that's your first chance to say, Hey, I belong on, on an NBA roster and an NBA rotation. Yeah. And then even more so starter, you know, all-star whole deal. Um, and, and again, clock is ticking. And at 19, you don't really have much. That's the thing I think that's changed so much is that these teams are investing so much in you and, and really need you to perform because if you can contribute when you're on your rookie deal, I mean, think about what that does for your entire organization. And so it's just fascinating yeah. to me, like, the detail in the game that's so different on the college level. And the other big thing I would say that I've noticed in checking out these workouts is that college coaches care about their teams winning and rightfully so, right? That's what they're getting paid for. And not to say they don't have their kids' futures in mind or what have you, but the, the drill work and the instruction at the next level, like a lot of times isn't as big as you would think it would be, even for big name coaches. They're not, I'm not saying they're not great coaches, but their goal is, how do we win an NCAA championship? How do we win a, a conference title? Whereas for these kids, a kid like Keon Johnson, who's not allowed to like shoot threes and he's not really working on it. And Hey, if he takes that, it's a bad shot in college. You know, he needs to be able to shoot. You, you can't have a wing. That's a three and D guy, athletic defender, looking to be a star at the next level. Who's not shooting threes. Like it just right. can't happen. 
Yeah, I, at the college level, I always thought they don't do a good enough job of skill development. And there's an overemphasis on conditioning, like running and running and running and running and running. Like we could work on our skills a little bit. You know, I think that could be an advantage that some of these colleges could get just bringing the, maybe their own skill development guy. No doubt. Even though I just complained that skill development is a sport of itself. Well, I, think yeah. it can, I think it really can help at the college level. Yeah, no question. No question. Yeah. All right. So I wanted to start with Cade Cunningham. Mm-hmm. Um, there's been some pushback. You know, I think I have him as I do have him as a number one guy. I think you have him as a number one guy. Um, are you at all reluctant on placing Cade on a number one on a big board? Is there any reluctancy? What do you think no. about that? No, I have yeah. I have none. And I understand it. And listen, this happens, you know, you know, you you, you know the game as well, and you, you know the, the draft, and you've been awesome with it. And well, you, thank this you. happens every year, every single year. The, the the presumptive number one pick as things start to get closer to the draft there starts to be wait a minute what about uh Jalen Green what about Evan Mobley like all of a sudden this talk starts to change that like or you know maybe he's not a good fit in the organization he's going or what have you so there's the Detroit side which we, we can separate for a moment but Cade Cunningham is a prospect I keep pointing back to one thing to me and I, I think we've talked about this before it's the idea that he controls the pace of the game. It That trait is so rare to me. And you yeah. watch it like when guys slow the game down and it becomes so easy and then it's easier for their teammates. I mean, we were watching it in these playoffs with, with Chris Paul. He has that, that rare ability. Uh, obviously, Luka, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, yeah. I look, it's so rare when you see it and it's just something that, you know, and as, as, as a player, uh, as an evaluator, when you see it right away, you pick it up. Like, and, okay, and it's kind and it's kind of hard to explain. Like, there's yes. no number that there's no numbers that could explain it. And then the thing yeah. is, the things that then again that you'll knock a prospect for, um, like you know when Pedluka was c- coming and it was like, well, is he athletic enough? Is he quick enough? Is he you know is he in the best condition that he could be? All these things, like obviously he's proven to be all that and more, but, but even more so it's like, it's like the Larry bird thing or, or magic Johnson thing. Like their teams are going to be better. Obviously LeBron same way. Like, and that athleticism. Sure. If you have that too, that puts you as an elite athlete. Sure. I, of course, but it's also how you use that. And, 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 and really in terms of getting a team's offense, initiating their offense and, and having an identity, like the Suns become Chris Paul's team when he steps on the floor, the, the Mavs or whoever else would become Luka Doncic's team when he's on the floor. And in a way, like I'd say Harden sort of has that, that same thing, that same thing too. And and it's, it's really, to me, that's what puts him on another level for me. Yes. You can start to point to the measurables, the size. Uh, I think his vision is, is really good. The fact that, you know, he's a shot maker. He's, he's not just a scorer, but I think he's a shot maker too. He gets to his spots whenever he wants to. Uh, I think he's going to be really good defensively. I think he's going to be able to guard multiple positions, which obviously that versatility is going to help you all those things. But to me, it comes down first and foremost, when I see that I'm like, okay, that's an, that's an elite talent. Like I, that's a guy I'm taking number one in the draft. And a lot of those guys you mentioned are all underrated athletes. It's not like they're bad athletes like yes. Harry Bird, Magic Johnson, Luka Doncic. I mean, agree. how big and strong Luka is and the way he decelerates in the lane, like that guy is not a bad athlete. You know no, I mean? no, it's crazy when you see <laughs> yeah. him and, and the way he pushes people around or he's like you point out, I mean, getting buckets in the post against Kawhi. It's like, who does that? You know, at, yeah, at, yeah. At, I mean, it's it's remarkable. Body control think, is, all, is all part of athleticism. It's not just jumping out the gym. Yes, you know? yes, exactly. Exactly. And so I think you look at all that and I'm, I'm totally with you and say, you know, he's he's a I think he's a special talent in that regard. And that to me is not to take away from also the rest of this draft we oftentimes rate drafts you know everyone else every year it seems like because the kids are young and they don't have that notoriety because they haven't spent that long in college every year it seems like you get us oh, a terrible draft this is a terrible draft this is a terrible draft this year the people did i think get it right where it's like this is actually a lot stronger even than i think people believe because i think you got your tier one guys at the top i think there's a handful of them and then i think there's a bunch of guys that could be really impactful i mean i talk about like i just mentioned davion mitchell and keon johnson and guys like that um you know i mean Corey kispert obviously i think is a, is an elite shooter um zaire williams is a guy that i know that like obviously wasn't as consistent this year as people expected but i think he could be a guy that turns out 
to be extremely successful two years down the road, you know, like a Michael Porter Jr. situation. Yeah, he, has, where all he, has, sudden, he has all the tools. He just all didn't tools. prove it this year, but yeah. he definitely has the potential. Yeah. And then, and, and the one thing I have to say is like, can we please give combo credit? <laughs> I don't know if this is going to be an Instagram post or what, but like whatever you clip off combo, give combo credit, Scotty Barnes, bones Highland, you had been talking about them since day one. So let's please give you credit. The stuff you were seeing on tape that now, and it's, it's fascinating to me because what happens a lot of times also, I mentioned about how important interviews are at the combine. But the other thing that happens is some people that haven't seen these kids in person or actually didn't even know them that well in a front office. And, and these front offices collect data on a lot of kids, but you can't see as much as you'd like at all times. Then all of a sudden you get to the combine. You're like, okay, I see. All right. I'm seeing it with my own eyes. So it might be a GM might be an executive. And that's where all of a sudden you start to see things change, right? What was the narrative teams go? I don't know about that kid that you've been telling me about West coast scout. I actually like this guy. Things start to shift. And my man combo says, Scotty Barnes, you know, get him in the mix top five. And then bones Highland, you were like how this kid is not a first rounder. And now we're going to see him. What, you know, mid to twenties, right. In in the first round. Right. I mean, I saw Mox where he wasn't even on and I was surprised just watching him play. Um, yeah. You know, and, and definitely Scotty Barnes is like, to me, this year's Tyrese, obviously not the same player at all in terms of playing style, not even close. I'm not talking about that. I'm just talking about the teams that pass on him, I think are going to regret it. I, I'm with you. And I, there's something that jumps. It's weird. Scotty Barnes, the guy, look, two things that I, I look at right away, productivity, you go, okay, why didn't he do more at Florida state? And then you look at what's happened with Florida state guys the last few years and you go, does it matter? First of all, you know they're going to step in day one and defend. You can't play for Leonard Hamilton and then not defend at the NBA level. So, you know, that's a given. So teams recognize that right away. You don't even need to start at Florida State. We saw that last year. Like, it doesn't matter. Like, if you if if you are a guy that's a contributor at FSU, we know that you're an NBA-level defender. And then, you know, and you're just seeing it. Like, And then they have a moxie about them, like a toughness, like, you know, Trey Mann and guys like, like, you know, it's just like, you see it with FSU guys. And then, you know, we're going to see it from Jonathan Isaac as, as he gets healthy and all those things. Yeah. But I just, I, I, I think that immediately though, when I watch Scotty Barnes on tape, it's like, how do people not, this is crazy to me. Like, this is what the NBA is craving and dying for. And like, you know, at his floor, he is going to be an impactful player that's helping you out in many ways. And at his ceiling, like, we don't even know what that is. Like this kid, like all of a sudden gets a shooting consistently. Like, I, I mean, yeah. it could which be is a skill that out. you could, which is a skill that you could definitely improve on. I mean, he has all the stuff that are kind of hard to attain over time. The one thing that he doesn't have is something that you could definitely improve on at the NBA level. No question. No question. I, I, to me, I don't know how you watch, um, scotty barnes and don't come away just like watch two minutes of them and just go like oh man that's that's superstar right there like i i'm always i'm i I don't know but you know it's different i think combo i think i think for guys like like you and i we can watch this stuff you know it's like the book blink you know i don't know if you've ever read the malcolm gladwell book but it's he 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 starts out by giving in this example it's the idea that people that that have expertise in a given field can look at something right away. And it's and the whole book is explaining sort of why and how it works. But this idea that you can see something, you and I know, like we can go to a gym right now, or we can go to a park and you can watch the way a guy picks up a ball, takes two dribbles with it. And you're like, oh, he can play. Like you don't, right. you don't need any more. There's just right. something. It's, 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 a, built in. It's, it's a lifetime of experience. It's a lifetime of experience. And, yeah. and that's the thing that like pops out right away that the Blink book gives an example from the jump that, they bring in these statues that no one had found intact like this, that were incredibly old and like, and they're bringing it to all these places and scientists and they're all saying how old it is, how old it is. And then they bring it to some museum curators that, you know, it's what they've done their whole lives. And these people are like, Oh, that's a fake, like two seconds in, they just feel it. And, uh, and it's a fascinating book. But the point is that like, when it comes to draft evaluation, yes, you have to do your homework and you, and you have to do your due diligence and you have to find out how hard a kid works and is he going to fit in with a team? And what role could he play at the next level? Is he a superstar? Because if he's not, okay, is he a specialist? Or, you know, you see that now. What can guys play? Like, that's the other thing I see now, like in the finals, watching that. It's like, all right, we know who the superstars are on, the, on each team. But look at the role that Pat Connaughton plays. Look at the role Mikhail Bridges plays, Jay Crowder plays. And you just go on down the list of, like, the guys that aren't superstars. 
can they play? What are they contributing to the teams? Cause that's what teams need too. You're not going to fill up your team with more than, you know, maybe three superstars if you're absolutely lucky and everything breaks for you, but, but past that, who are the guys that are going to contribute for you? And so I, I don't know. I, I watch a guy like Scotty Barnes and right away, it's like, okay, boom, that's obvious. Now let's do the homework and see where can he get to if everything breaks for him and he puts in the work. And that's the part that, you know, people can look back on stuff and say, Oh, you got this wrong or you got this right. Like the part that's so difficult is without being in the gym with them every day, without knowing them as people, without interviewing them, it's tough to glean all the information that's necessary, but can a kid play like that? We can pick up on right away. I think. Yeah. And there's body language things that you could pick up on right mm. away. Even if you don't have a personal conversation with the kid or don't know the kid personally, Absolutely. I mean, when you look at Scotty Barnes, he just gets so excited. Like you could tell he has joy for the game. Yes. And this is one thing about Evan Mobley that I think he's escaped in terms of criticism. Sometimes he doesn't look like he's like his motor is revved up, that he's all the Combo. way enjoying it. And, 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 and obviously I like Evan Mobley. He has all the tools, the way he can slide and raise on defense. I mean, Ugh. just incredible. I mean, I think he's going to be a star in the league, but you know, Kate is number one and he gets all this criticism and then, we have to be fair and look at whoever the number two guy is and give them criticism as well. You know, that's that, that is exactly the point. And that's what I was saying about like, when it, you have a presumptive number one, then people start to come in, they pick him apart. Right. And then all of a sudden though, that everybody else is like, they're the, and the number perfect. two is the underdog and we're not yeah, gonna oh, even look at it. It's always the case. And yeah, there's, yeah, and yeah. listen, that's built up for storyline and intrigue. You can't just keep writing articles and people don't want to ask questions during a podcast. Like, Hey, is Kate Cunningham your, your number one and all that kind of stuff. I mean, I, and I, I think it's so two things on this. So first, I would say that as, a, as it relates to Evan Mobley specifically, it's fascinating that you bring that up because early on in the season and I watched, obviously, was part of a lot of Pac-12 stuff and not only watching it, but then also talking to guys that are in the gym with him and, and at, ga- at USC games and what he's like. First of all, great kid. Um, and I have a theory about why he was the way he was. I think that that definitely held true in the early part of the year. I was watching it and saying, even though he, there were things he was doing that were sticking out and like just outstanding. There were, there were times I'm like, he kind of disappears. Like, this is weird for a guy that's got this much talent and stuff. And that idea that, I don't know, is it apathy? Does he not care about the game? I'm with you. Right. So you saw that early on, but two things to me, one, I was hearing from people that, that um, it might've been, the family unit that he had at SC. He comes in, his dad is the, is an assistant coach and his older brother is on the team. You're saying he's comfortable. He's saying he's comfortable, not comfortable, but, but more so like he was trying to fit in. Like he's a younger brother. Like in other Uh, words, had he gone to another place, like, okay, I'm the guy, but his dad's like, think about you grow up. Like your older brother's always the guy. Your dad's always the guy. You go to a situation, you're on a team now, which you know, with Andy, Anfield. I like his, I like his brother's game, by the way. Oh yeah, no yeah, doubt. No player. doubt. But yeah. like, but you go to a, an organization where Andy Enfield's the leader, that means you're devoid of leadership. That's not a, that's not a coach that's demanding leadership. Or, like, so it's got to come internally from guys. So all of a sudden, you know, like Mobley's dad and his brother being part of it, people thought it was a lot of like him deferring. And so just like, mm-hmm. Hey, I should play this role. Oh, I'm in the, I have a double team. I'm not going to attack it. I'm going to pass out of it. And he's a really good passer out of double teams, but wasn't showing that drive. But then you saw Pac-12 tournament comes and he had to turn it on at times. And he absolutely did that. NCAA tournament comes and same thing. So we know day one defensively, he's going to be there. Yes. My, I mean, without a doubt, he's going to be a star defensive player at the NBA level. He's got all the tools. But offensively, it's like, how much does he care? Because if his drive is there, he's got incredible touch. The thing I would hear from guys is like, is he, is, does he have Tim Duncan's demeanor? So is he Tim Duncan? Or is he who, who shows out in practice and works his tail off and in games he's competing, but he's also doing it while tapping you on the, on the backside and saying like, Hey, good play, buddy. Like, does he have that side of him where it's just like more a quiet demeanor or does he turn into Tyrus Thomas, you know, where he doesn't reach his full potential and stuff. And I think that's the question. And it's a fair question, I think to ask, but I think I've seen it enough where now I don't take him over Cade. But I think I've seen it enough where I feel like I'm an Evan Mobley believer and stuff. So, I yeah. Feel so that you way. don't. So you don't agree with me at uh, with Scotty Barnes at number two to Houston. I'm not. I'm not even saying that. I think like to me, I think, I think you put Barnes, Mobley, and for me, it's. I know we differ on this point, but Jalen Suggs also. I have. You like him over Green? I like him over Jalen Green. Mm. I like him over Jalen Green, and I. I think the thing with me on Jalen Suggs is, I love his athleticism. I love the fact that he has. 
his toughness. He's competitive. And he's got this scorer's mentality, not to say Green doesn't, obviously. Green's going to be a very good scorer at the NBA level. I don't doubt that. Yeah, I think that's – I think, honestly, that's his floor, a very good well, scorer. Yeah, and I think that yeah. I think the thing with Jalen Suggs is, to me, one of the things I watch at Gonzaga, and they played some great competition in the non-com, is he doesn't even care about his primary defender. He's like all great scorers. And granted, they had balanced attack with Drew Timmy and I, Ayaya. You're saying, and, it's, you're saying it's effortless for him. Well, it's effortless, and you know, great scorers like don't even care about the primary defenders. Like, where's the help coming from? And oh, then you 100%. see how he can score. 100%. It's it's the floater game, his ability to finish. It's his his pull ups. He can also shoot at some from deep, and then his vision. And the other thing is, as a quarterback, I mean, one play I always point to, and again, I don't, I don't get overhyped with tournament performances. For me, it's what's the body of work. What did he do at the high school level? What is what is his ceiling? How his game will like? translate? Yeah, all that. Right, yeah. but but the play he had when he had the block against UCLA. And then turned around and throws a three-quarter court bounce pass one-handed with less than two minutes to go. I mean, insane, like threads the needle. The wild part about that, not just the, the ability and the talent and the skill set it takes to make that pass and the vision, but also the understanding. Like, he's a quarterback. He understands, like, a quarterback turns the ball over three times in a game. Like, they're getting criticized. You know what I mean? If you, if you have nine assists in a game and have three turnovers, that's a three to one assist to turnover ratio. You're going to be praised at the NBA level. And I think he understands how to take care of the ball while still having that vision of like, Hey, I know how to thread a needle here and have that. And so to me, like, I think he's a unique prospect. I, I love Jalen Suggs on another level. I don't, I'm still not sold. Like I know what Jalen green is at his floor. I don't know that he's going to be that, superstar athlete wing that like puts it all together at the next level. And, and I know I might be wrong with this and I, I, I fully accept that and embrace it. And I see what he did on like the EYBL circuit and all that. Like I, I think Jalen well, green, well, more, more importantly than the EYBL circuit, the G league bubble, which well, is there's no question. There's no question. Yeah. And that's why I think his floor is there. Like if Jalen yeah. green comes out next year and averages 15 a game, like I am not, I am not surprised. You know, the right. question is, does he, does he have all those other parts that he puts it all together that he becomes this 25 a night guy? And so that's what I'm, mm. you be, and I really think that we're looking at a guy that's going to be multiple, multiple time all-star in Cade Cunningham, multiple time all-star in, so. in, um, in, in Mobley. And I feel the same way about Suggs and my question. And I think Barnes, I think is there too. Like, again, I think Barnes is a, the swing skill is the, the swing skill is a shooting for Barnes. Like if he becomes a good yeah. shooter, he's going to be an all-star. Oh, I mean, there's no question about right, it. So right. I, I, but I put Jalen Green right there too. Like, I have him as borderline, like, like tier one guy for me. And I know, again, I know that's not what, what the consensus is. So that's where I sort of differ. But, um, yeah, that's how I view it. The other thing I would say too, and it's, it's weird. What do you think about? Do you think there's any chance that that Detroit moves that that top pick? No, because I, I will say this. I mean, Troy Weaver, there were questionable. Wait, moves. you're saying unless they have an agreement that we're, we're no, 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 no. I'm saying, I'm saying, I, I'm not saying they would do that. I mean, my, my feeling all along is like, I've told people from the beginning, like Cade Cunningham is going to be the number one pick and there's total value among the league and people appreciate him the same way both of us do. I right. think that if Detroit doesn't feel like he's their guy and is in love with Jalen Green or Evan Mobley, for instance, then I think they would deal the pick. I don't think that they I, – I don't think that they first, – First of all, I think that's the wrong move. I think you stay with Cade. Second of all, they'll be too scared to do it because if Cade becomes a generational talent, it's oh. like it, – there's too much There's too much to lose there on both sides, you know? Yeah. It's just yeah. – I don't I think just, that'll happen, yeah. Yeah, I think – but I, I agree with you. I agree with you on all, all fronts. I'm just saying that I think if Detroit felt that way, that he wasn't their guy – then they would move it because someone else is going to take Cade number one. That's what, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. So, yeah. And I mean, you saw that with the Celtics and Sixers, obviously a few years ago where, you know, Ainge felt, they felt like the organization Boston was like, yo, Tatum's the best player in this draft. We, we think he's better than Lonzo ball and, and, uh, and, and Markel Fultz. And so that's what they did. So you get an asset out of it and you get the guy you feel like is, is best overall. But I, it's interesting with Detroit, when you think about what they're building and, and Weaver got knocked last year, but it's like, you know, they draft Killian Hayes. They end up with Isaiah Stewart. They get Sadiq Bay, who was my favorite player in last year's draft. Not saying he was yeah. the best player, but I was like, that's my favorite prospect in this, in this draft. You know, I heard Steve Kerr loved him too. He was apparently like Steve Kerr's favorite player in last year's draft. Just the way he shoots the ball, and you know he's an NBA ready scorer day one. But I, so I'm interested to see though, man, what they are building in Detroit all of a sudden overnight. You get a guy like Cade, and now all of a sudden you're like, yo, Cade, 
Sadiq Bay, Isaiah Stern, like Grant. The are there, and that goes without saying they're they're star they're established star already in Jeremy Grant. So, man, I all of a sudden like you, that's where that's the other piece where I think about when you take a guy number one, like does all of a sudden he take a team to like, yo, I don't care about what your positional need is. I don't care about yeah. that at all for the top of the draft. You get right. there, and I know you've talked about, you know, positional re- redundancy and stuff, but you get to the top of the draft and you say, like, no, hey, you're is right. This you're guy right. a game changer for our organization. And I think Kate is, that, is that, I think there are a few guys in that draft, in this draft, though, um, putting yeah. it in, the, in those terms. You know, it, it's usually always best available over fit for me. And obviously, mm-hmm. there's a great case that Mobley and Jalen Green are the best available over Scotty, right? But I wanted to ask you about, you know, getting off Scotty even though I would take them number two with Houston, and I don't think anybody agrees with me. But getting off that, with even with playoff teams, I mean, it's so rare for a rookie to really contribute. Do you still go with best available there, do you feel, for the most part? Because you might as well draft for potential anyway because the guy is probably not going to help you right away. Even though there's a guy in this draft that I think can, and Chris Dorte, because he's older and he's yes. established, and I think he could really help, you know, a playoff team even. Uh, where do you go when you are a playoff team? Do you still go best available or do you go a little bit more towards fit? Well, it's a, it's a great question. I think, so I think it depends on the, on the organization and, right. you know, I think, because I think strong organization, there can be playoff teams that aren't strong organizations, right? Things break the right yeah. way for you, what have you. But I look at strong organizations top down and you always look at, at Spurs as the, you know, and I guess the Warriors as like the two, organizations right now even the heat heat absolutely yes i would put them there too yeah and where and where where it's so big and what i mean by strong organization is that their hierarchy is in place there's confidence in the coaching staff and everything is is um is unified across the board that that everyone is aligned in what their goals are And, and so and so even you know i've heard stories about like the spurs and stuff and like I think people are surprised to hear that because they think like NBA team, like they're all sort of the same organizations are the same, but like from team to team, like the Spurs, like what RC Buford and pop have put in place in terms of like an organizational structure, like how you're going to work out over the summer. Like they have that in place. Like they want you to work on certain skills and how you're going to develop. You know, we talk skill development again, but like, and also like how you're going to rehab from injury. I mean, that was the whole problem with Kawhi. Like he didn't feel like he was aligned with what the Spurs were doing. And so that's where the relationship fell apart. And you might say, well, man, it cost them Kawhi, but it's like, yeah, it also caused them to win for 20 straight years. You know, like they had that and the heat are the exact same way. You can't play for the heat. If you are not mentally tough, they don't care. Like that's not going to work for them. If you don't play defense, if you're not physically tough, physically tough, tough, no question. So I think, so when it comes to playoff teams, I think it's looked at as, as two ways. Like if you're strong as an organization, Heat believe they can take certain guys that they love that they feel like, okay, they're going to fit as a heat player and we can make it work. And we're going to maximize their potential like as a heat player, which probably puts them, Hey, if guys are close, like this guy might have a little more talent, but this guy sort of fits who we are like a Duncan Robinson. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And not necessarily, I think fit. Sometimes we think about as fit, like they need shooters not necessarily like what they need positionally, but more so fit. Does he fit within our organization? I think if they're close, they're going to take the guy that fits. I will say the team this year, that's, that's such a unique case though, is, um, is golden state because you figure with pick seven and 14, you've got, you've got an opportunity now with now think about what they've done the last two years. James Wiseman now has a year under his belt. Uh, Eric Pascal, Jordan Poole played tremendous roles for them. And Steve Kerr always plays rookies anyway, gets them experience, wants to put them in the fold as soon as he can. But you have that. And now you've got Steph Draymond Clay returning like with Wigan. I mean, like you think about like the talent that's already in Golden State. They've already won there with Clay returning. Like that team is a team, I think, that has to approach this draft differently. And I've I said this before and it picked up a little bit of steam on uh, when I talked to Chad Ford about it. But I know for a fact that the Warriors love Davion Mitchell, and rightfully so. And you think about what he's going to be able to do defensively. You think about him like alongside Clay and like Draymond, like defensively what they're going to do day one. Plus, he can play both guard spots. I think, I think he is like ideal for, for the Warriors. And then you bring up the other guy that I think makes a lot of sense at Golden State, and that's Duarte. Like To me, Chris Duarte is 24 years old. Now, 
is he close to his ceiling? And, and people, you know, you use that as a knock when every other kid in, you know, the top of the draft, just like last year, first nine picks are going to be freshmen, right? Like whole deal, yeah. like, like all that kind of stuff. But I will say this, that Duarte, it's basically with Duarte because of what he does defensively, how he shoots the ball. He's, he's a leader. He's a tough kid. You, and you watch him play in the game. He looks like a veteran NBA player oh, in a college game. Without I mean? a doubt. Yeah. So yeah what you're yeah. getting with Chris Duarte, in my opinion, is you're getting a kid, instead of looking at it like you're taking a draft pick who might have hit his ceiling already because he's 24 and they're going to use that, hey, he's five years older than these other kids. I get all that. But you have to look at Chris Duarte as a pick to your exact point that you just made. He's a guy that you're getting as a cheap free agent for the next three years. That's how I see it. Like he's going to help you. He, you have to assume that he's going to help you day one. So if you don't think Chris Duarte is going to be in your plans day one, then like I could see where he could, a guy like him could fall because he's 24. But if you think like, Hey, we could, that's where a playoff team can use a guy like that. I think that, I think your point is spot on there. Yeah. Uh, nobody really talks about this, but the MVP of this year, of this year's NBA was a second round draft pick. Right. Mm -hmm. And you never know when you could see that again. Are there any second round guys that you, that you think have a really high ceiling that could one day look back? Like how did that guy go second round? I mean, that's always, I, to me, that's, it's always like the most fascinating part of the draft. And I love, you know, one of my favorite things to do is, is to go back and look at drafts of, of yesteryear and go like, let me look at the picks. Cause you, you sort of want to see like if they did, let's not make this mistake again. Right. Everybody does the redraft right. thing and all this. But my thing also, what's fascinating is how many times the NBA gets it right, where you go back and look at a second round and you're like, man, none of these guys panned out. This is incredible. Like just the scouting that goes into it and the, and the care to, to the craft that people put in um, is always, is always amazing to me. And well, then one some, thing about one thing about that though, Adam, is you, when you're a second round pick, you have less opportunity to well, start that's, out with. That was the other part that I, the point yeah. that I was going to make. And, and as somebody who listened, who's played professionally and has bounced around, like, like you have, you understand something. That's a point that's always brought up. Um, and we have many talks about this with, with some NBA guys that I talked to. And that is, we always talk about how hard it is to make the league, but if you don't get in through the draft as a first rounder, and this is where it's so tough with kids who end up getting, you know, late second or undrafted. What Last happens. chances. It is so hard. Teams don't care. They don't yeah. care. They don't have a, they don't have a, you know, they, they invest in a first round pick, not just with guaranteed contract, obviously, but also if you're a second round pick, then it does the, the, the PR hit they take, if it doesn't work out with you, if you don't get them on the floor, is so much less. There's so much more that goes into this. Um, You're in that box also, the way we look at you, second round pick. Like, that's absolutely, what you are. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and even another point on that is that, um, you know, I, I had said, I remember when Fred Van Vliet, I was like, how does this guy go undrafted? Like, like, who couldn't use at the time? And I didn't think of him as a superstar in the NBA or a star in the NBA, but I thought yeah. Fred Van Vliet, like, I didn't think of him as like a max guy, but I was like, how does a team not want this guy to run their second unit offense? Like this is a, this is exactly what I would want for a guy to come in and do. And uh, his work ethics incredibly contribute to a team. And then I find out, Oh, also second round picks determine in a lot of cases and their agents determine like they don't want to go just to whoever takes them in the second round and the team's not invested in them. They'd rather sign as an undrafted free agent in an organization right that really wants them and maybe has less point guards on the roster, you know? So they're also looking at what's the best fit for them. And tr we always think of the guys at the very top of the draft controlling it. But as you know, like agents and everybody have a say. And so I heard with Fred Van Vliet, it was a case of like, he was telling teams like, no, he's going to sign with it. He wants to sign with an organization and contribute to an organization that already has point guards. So don't take them if you're middle to late second round. So it's weird how teams start to, to control the draft that way. So I would say that, you know, the one guy to me that stands out and I don't is Sharif Cooper is um, at, at Auburn. And you think and he's I've a seen, second round guy. I, I've seen him showing up on second round picks and like, oh I worry God. about it. I don't think so. I don't think he's going to go. I'm saying yeah. he's a guy that if you were to go in the second round, that's I'm just, oh, that, oh, definitely. That's a steal. I mean, I, I love, I love Sharif Cooper. And then, yeah. so I point that out. The two guys though, that, <clears throat> that uh, as second rounders, Joe Wieskamp, who obviously showed up, I think, again, I don't think Joe Wieskamp's the guy we're talking about as like a superstar, but I see him as being a guy you look at, you could plug him in. Like I look at NBA finals and think that these teams could use who Joe Wieskamp, I think is going to be in two years. I the think, skill set makes sense for the NBA for sure. Yeah. And I think he's yeah. much better athletically than anybody gives him credit for. And then, 
You know, the other one that I think is is interesting, and I, I really like his game, is um, is Charles Bassey. Like, mm. I think because of today's NBA, like, you're not going to take a guy that's a classic post big, but he seals his man. He rebounds really well. He defends. He catches everything. Like, I think if team utilizes him correctly, he could be much, much more impactful. And we're starting to see the another train that you talk about that I think is going to come. And it's not here yet, but I think we're on the cusp of it, Combo, is I think we're going to start to see bigs that start to play back to the basket and have that some of that skill set to take advantage of teams that play small. I think the trend has gone yeah. so much so. You see, now granted, it's Joel Embiid, so that's a bad example. But you see, but like what Joel Embiid did against the Hawks. Or you see like the impact that Giannis is having when instead of ISO situation that he gives up the ball and now he reposts again, you know what I mean? in, in an offensive set. And, yeah. and now all of a sudden he's the best center in, in, you know, in the, in this, uh, you know, he's, he's, and you see what Deandre Ayton's able to do. Like we've seen a lot of like rim runners. We see guys on pick and roll situations that are catching lobs, but we're not seeing guys that can take advantage of small teams in the post. Obviously you still have to be able to guard the perimeter, but you're seeing in the college game, like guys all of a sudden with post work and skill set that way, Drew, Timmy, Luca Garza, I, I'm interested to see now if teams start to say, hey, I'm going to take a guy like that, and maybe for a few minutes in a game, I can take it. You want to play situation. small? I'll, yeah. Situationally, I'll take advantage, and I'll play big. So Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Just the only thing with that is certain teams just can't have it, like when you have a guy like Luca who needs floor spacing. But I think situationally on yeah. certain teams, it makes sense, especially if you need him for 15 minutes when a team goes small, you know? Oh. Absolutely. And again, I get it. Everybody wants to go hunting for defensive matchups, but like my yeah. thing and, is, and Cantor can also take still around. Yes, yes, yeah. exactly. And you can take advantage on the other end, right? Like how many times do we see bigs all of a sudden go off in a game for a few minutes and you're like, yo, of course they're feasting because there just isn't the size like there used to be in the league. Now, philosophically, that's difficult because if your offense is, you know, you're running four out all the time and it's all, it's all pick and roll. You're only using your big as a screener you're not going to spend a lot of time running post-ups for your guy that's only playing 12 minutes a night. You know what I mean? Like, like Frank Kaminsky's having a hard time getting on the floor. He's a guy that can even step outside and shoot if he needs to, you know, Brooke Lopez had to adjust his game, but I do think we may start to see that shift back. I'm, I'm, I'm curious to see if that changes over the next couple of years where guys are used in that situation situationally. Yeah, most definitely. I wanted to hear your thoughts on pro days, Adam, because these are a little bit different than the workouts you were talking about earlier. Mm. It's more like a show. Uh, nobody's battling with adversity. And it, yes. it's, it's there to make you look good. It's everybody's cheering for each other. There's no hardships. But yes. what, what do you think teams look for in these pro days? Because I think it has helped certain guys. Like Book Knight, I think, was an underrated athlete mm. before this pro day. He kind of mm. showed his athleticism. Yes. And I noticed a few things in these pro days, like when bigs can't look up and dribble the basketball, it's kind of concerning. Not really for that reason, but I'm just afraid, like, how will they be able to make the right reads in a game yes. if their feel for the basketball yes. isn't good enough? Yes. Um, what are the things are you, that you're looking for in these pro days and how much value do you, can you take from them? Well, it, that's a great question. I, I think that the biggest thing of all is actually – uh, the work that a kid put in to getting to his pro day. Nobody's having, nobody's going to a pro day, like without, you know, right after the, they're nobody, they don't have them right after the college season ends because yeah. they want a chance to actually say, Hey, this is my chance to audition for NBA teams. Just like, you know, just like the combine workout stuff that, that we saw, but like, you know, pro days happen there. And then you see others and team workouts again, same thing. Like they're spaced out for a reason. For people to actually say, I'm going to put in all the work I possibly can to get myself ready to be an NBA player. And, and so I think what the big thing is, is there certain things that you see in terms of how somebody works that you go, okay, they've been actually working at this. And so, mm -hmm. and so it's a question. And again, you're not going to transform someone's shot in six weeks. That's not going to happen over the course of two months. You need, you need a full summer season ends. I'm putting in until the start of the next season. I'm working to transform my shop, right? Yeah, like that's a, that's so difficult to do because once you start playing, you revert to old habits. So you almost oh. have to take a hit on other spots of your game yes. to improve yes. your jump shot because yes. you're not going to be able to get the – and to stay in flow, to stay in rhythm, you have to play five on five, and you might not well, be able to do that, you know? So right. yeah, it's a right. tough and thing And I think do, also man. it takes a combination – and I think that takes a combination too. If you're going to transform your shot, if you're smart about it in an offseason – 
you're putting in that, that skill development, that work on your shot, you're changing your form, you're changing your base, whatever, whatever it is, um, you know, you're offhand, like whatever, whatever the issue is in terms of your shooting yeah. motion, right? Like, that's why, like, that's why it's so important what Lonzo did. I mean, so yeah. impressive, impressive. Oh, it's, it's it remarkably it. impressive how yeah. he changed his shot. And he needed to, and I think it's amazing. But I think you also need to then find ways in which you're playing pickup also in, yes. in an, an entire offseason so you can implement that. It's not just – otherwise you're going to get to – otherwise you're going to get to camp and, like, you're going through practices and, like, you're going to resort to old habits. You have to play your sport. You have to play your sport, yeah. So, so um, <clears throat> yeah, so – I think, um, oh, I don't, what was it? What were we just? Pro day, pro day, pro day. Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. So pro day, pro day. <laughs> the big thing I'll say is I think it shows teams the work that you've put in and how much you, again, go back to the a care for your craft. And I think that a, a pro day oftentimes just, the guys that sh- shooters are going to always show out, but shooters and athletes are going to show. And really a lot of times what we end up going with, with pro days was how well did he shoot it, right? What kind of athlete did he show that he, that he was and what kind of shooter was he? And those are the things you could see. But I think for, for NBA teams, it's all about, okay, what kind of work did this guy put in? Does he look like the same player? You know, has he slimmed down? If he was, if he was a big who maybe was carrying a little, little extra weight, did that guy get himself and did he transform his body? Because he has he cared about how he's eaten in the in the offseason? Does he care about um, you know, how's his handle? Is it is it tighter than we saw during the year? Um, you know, are his shots going down more consistently? What kind of effort does he have? Where's his endurance at? So I think all of those things show what kind of work he put in. And so look, they'll always tell you, every NBA player will tell you the hardest they ever worked was the time that their college season ended and the time they entered the draft. That is you're in the best possible shape. You'll never have to be in that kind of shape. Once you get to the league, it's about sustaining it, right? And you want to make sure you're working on that every offseason. LeBron brings up like the 99%. Like once you hit the league, you're at 99% capacity. That's your, that's your peak. You'll never be at 100 again. And I, think, and I think all of that's true. A lot of it's just making sure that your body still stays healthy and all that kind of stuff. But and maybe the, every offseason you work on one part of your game. But I just look at the the pro days as being a place where teams can look and say, Oh yeah, you put in a lot of effort this off season. Like that's what stands out to us. And obviously you look at a guy like book night and it's like, Oh yeah, that makes total sense to me. Yeah. Yeah. And there's guys who did shed the weight, like Dacian Nix. He shed his oh, weight. He, yes. yeah, he, he had a great three fourth of court sprint. It uh, makes a difference, <laughs> right? It makes a difference. And I, I yeah, think yeah, that's, sure. uh, that's wild. I mean, and again, if you, because if you don't care, if you look, you know how hard it is. Look, you're, you're, you're recovering from an ACL injury and, and that yeah. journey, I give you total credit for. And I've been so impressed and you've been inspiring others on Instagram, just posting videos of, Hey, look, look at me dunk on, but I see the, <laughs> I see the drill work that you're doing at the time that you're putting in to get your body right. And, right. and, and how lonely, right. That process yeah. is and the focus you yeah. have to have and, and the drive and the motivation to say every day, even if I don't feel like this, I'm going to go and put in this work. And 100%. I give you tons of credit for that. You've been inspiring you, me you. watching, watching from afar. And I will say that I think the same thing applies with NBA players. So people will, will talk all the time like, yeah, okay, he was great in that team workout, you know, as, as he went one-on-one against the chair, you know, the guys talk about that. But it's more so, I think teams are way smarter than that. Not all of them. But I think, I think most teams and, and front offices are smarter where they understand like, oh, this isn't the same kid that worked out. So he's not fooling us. It's more about man, he must care about the game. If he's put in this kind of work this offseason, the last couple of months, he really cares and has passion for, for, for the craft. So I mentioned Dacian Nix a little bit earlier, but his teammate from the G League Ignite, Isaiah Todd, said he's not working out with any teams unless they're a lottery pick. What, is that, what does that mean to you? What does that tell you? Does he know something that we don't know? I mean, I've been high on this guy. I've been high on this guy. I didn't really think of him as a lottery pick. So what does that mean to you when – a team or the agent or the player. I don't know if he said it himself, if it comes from his camp, what does that mean to you? It's funny. Cause in most cases, like you can, you can start to see, does a guy have a promise, right? You, you get a lot of that. Right. Um, and uh, promises aren't as prevalent now from, from what I understand. I mean, you know, they, the teams don't want to show their cards either. So, you know, and I don't know in a lot of cases how it necessarily benefits them. There's so much information on these kids. It's not like you're going to, teams know about everybody and they're going to like them or they aren't. So it's not like, you know, it's it, that that's always so funny to me as though you're going to find some hidden gem. They just don't exist as much, you know? So that part. Yeah, that's you. true. Um, but I think, 
I think it's a, qu- a case that, and I love this part of it, like that the chess moves. I think it's about manipulating the draft as much as you can. Uh, and I think, yeah. I think, I think if I'm look, maybe, maybe he did. Some teams said they they loved him. Maybe there's two lottery teams that said, "Hey, we we absolutely are going to take you. You're our our steal of the draft." Because I think one doing it would scare me. But let's say there's a couple that told him something along those lines, and he believes it, or his his camp believes it. I will say this that. I also think on the flip side, what better way to generate buzz though? Right. To right. Say like, Nope, I'm only working out with lottery teams. Now all of a sudden everybody else is going, what am I missing here? Like, and, and now, yeah. so you're trying to increase your own value. I think that gamesmanship is a, is a huge part of it. And that's what my guess is with that situation. I, I think, I think that that, that happens too. like high school prospects, you know, when a coach calls, the first thing that coach asks a, a prospect is who else is recruiting you? you know, and sort of, and that's yeah. how the league is. And, and, too. and yeah. And even in college, if one team from a conference recruits you, every team from that conference starts recruiting. You, absolutely. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. You do not want to miss on that. And I, and I think that the same thing sort of applies with NBA teams. Like they want to know who everybody else is high on. And, and in fact, I'll tell you something that's interesting, like being around teams and gyms and stuff. One of the things that, that always pops up is the smart organizations. You know, we were talking about that before the strong organizations, like the, the best execs, they come into gyms, They've already done their homework. They know about the kids. They might talk to the guys working them out. The really smart ones come in and go, hey, who else has been in here? Who else is talking to this kid? Because what they want to know is where they try to get intel to see where a kid's going to be drafted so they can find out his value. Because that's that's the most important part. Yeah, and that's what's important about pro days. Just see the other guys, right? More well, than maybe yeah, what you see exactly. Seeing exactly. the other guys more than even what's happening on the court. We know this mm-hmm. guy could jump with his head above the rim and dunk. We know yeah, that already. Of course, but of we want to see whatever we want to see what people's notes look like. Let's share some notes. You know what I mean? Yes, yes. <laughs> and and because you know, look, here's the thing: everyone can put up smoke screens about about um, you know what they think of a prospect or this or that, but at the end of the day, like you're not going to draft a kid and invest this much in a kid. If you haven't like gone to see him, if you haven't been sending people out there to talk to him and all that. So, so how smart is it then if you're a team, of course, you're going to say when you get into these gyms, Hey, who else has been here? You know, who else is talking to this kid? Like talking to the agents, like, Hey, who's calling you about him? All that kind of stuff. Because the thing is, if you can glean that information, now you find a kid's true value. Because if all of a sudden, as you bring up a point, like, if everyone else thinks his value is in the twenties, but two teams are considering drafting him in the lottery, well, kids basically got lottery value now. You know what I mean? Then you have to reevaluate. It happened with Pat Williams last year, most definitely. All right, last thing before we get out of here, we talked about trends. You know, have you been paying attention to these guys, Chet and Wemby? These uh, Chet Holgren, he's from here. Oh, of course, yeah. Wemby, Wemby's yes, from yes. France. France, yep, yep. And. Uh, what do you, do you think this is the future of basketball? Seven, two guys, seven, one guys, seven, three guys that can kind of do everything on the court. I mean, we're kind of seeing it today anyway, right? With the modern day bigs and, and we see what, uh, what Giannis does. And here I'm making the point earlier. What if we go to a back the basket game and now you're, you're talking about seven footers going even further out uh, right. than they are. But I will say, I mean, I, you know, Wemby is is an interesting one. I mean, I'm still I'm still learning about what his his potential could be if it's for real. Like Chet is a freak show beyond freak shows, man. That guy in such a good way. I mean, that is the ultimate compliment. I mean, you look at his length, you look at his handle, um, how he competes is crazy. And he's got like an edge to him, a toughness yeah, yeah. that like yeah. we even, think about even when he was bigs, younger. Even when he was younger, he was tough when he was even skinnier, you know? Yes. Yes. I think, listen, I I don't, you know, that question always pops up. Like, do you think this will end up being like, you know, because of like one guy or two guys, like, does that change it? Like you'd still have to have the people who are capable of doing that. And I'll just say, like, I think what separates Chet is that, as you just point out, like this, um, this competitive nature that he has and this, this dog that he has. And I think that that, is the thing that, yeah, when you see him at first, you go, oh, that's, that's amazing. This guy can shoot like that. He's got this handle at that size. And you see the Steph Curry tape and, you know, all that kind of thing that he, you know, made, made waves that way. But I think even more so with Chet, it's about the fact that people go, man, that, that mentality, it just, it's hard. It's, it, you know, I don't know whether you can coach people into that. I don't know if that's something over time, like people realize that they want to be great. They have to develop it. But I think that it's, again, you talk about rare traits to be that, skilled that have that length and also have the toughness 
we just don't see it. So I don't, I don't think we will see that necessarily that, that trend. I think guys are going to try to get skilled at that size and all that. And maybe then it flips back, like I said, and people say, all right, we'll combat that with saying, we're going to get strong with quick quick little guards, how you guard it. Yeah. Or we abuse you. And who's the guy on, um, who's the kid from Louisiana tech that that's also showing out on the, um, uh, oh, Kenneth Lofton Jr. Ah, okay, okay. So you see him, and you see like he's got he's got great footwork, and he's just he's six seven, but he's like you know he's got these the big. It looks like a rectangle. He's got like those shoulders. You know, it's like yeah, watching yeah, like yeah. how Oregon play. All the Oregon kids are like that, like LJ Figueroa and stuff. But he's but he's six seven. And he's just bulky, and like so. Here's the thing: there's always the counter, right? Like, okay, we fill up the league. Like, you want to get seven foot shooters who are skilled okay, we're going to throw some six, seven guys at you. Like, you know, that can pound you in the post and take you with their footwork yeah. and stuff. And, you know, they're just going to body you. So I, keeping I think teams honest, a, keeping teams honest. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I, but I love chat and, um, I, I, man, it's going to be fun to see him in the league. Won't it? Won't it be fun? Oh, to see yeah, him? Yeah. Yeah. He has the prerequisite skills at, at, on the defensive side. I mean, he could already slide his feet and protect the rim and then all the stuff he could do on offense is just, Crazy. It's going to be wild, man. It's going to be wild. And he, I mean, and Mobley, and he makes the right decisions. Makes yeah, the right decisions. Yeah. yeah. Evan Mobley has, I will say this, Evan Mobley, the one thing he doesn't get enough credit for, I think, is the touch on his shot, which yes, oftentimes yes. guys that size and the way they're shooting at the rim, as you know, like they oftentimes don't have great touch. Evan Mobley has really nice touch on his jumper. You know what Evan Mobley's jump shot strikes me as? A guy who has a lot of touch that hasn't repped it out yet. Yes. It's a great you know? call. It's a great yeah, call. That's that's what it looks like. That's what it looks like to me. Um, Adam, great stuff. You know, you're always welcome back on the show. I'm really happy for you about your new job at 24-7. And uh, you know you're always welcome back on the show. Where can we find you on social media and everywhere else? Uh, I mean, reach out on Twitter at Naismith Lives. Always up for a good basketball conversation, you know, answer some draft questions, what have you. And uh, yeah, feel free to reach out if anybody has an idea about 24-7 they want to see implemented, what have you. We're looking to innovate, so we're all about it. And uh, I got to tell you, Combo, I'm a huge fan. I always tell you that. I think you're doing great work. You have amazing guests, but you do good interviews. And um, and I love your your mind for the game. I, I could sit here for hours. Well, we basically did, but we, I could sit here for hours and, and talk to you. So my wife's going to kill me. I told her it was going to be 45 minutes max, and, oh, and we man. go well above that. But I, but I appreciate it. I love the conversation. Can't wait to throw on some of those combos course socks, man. I'm, I'm going to be. I got you. I got you. You got to send the address so I can send them over. All right. Fair enough. No, I'm buying these, baby. I'm nah, supporting. nah, on me, on me. I'm supporting. <laughs> I'm supporting. Thanks so much, Adam. Thanks, bro. There it is. Another episode of Combos Court Podcast. Thank you to everyone who tunes into the show across the globe. And big shouts to Adam for joining in. We appreciate you. Combo Nation, punch down on that subscribe button if you haven't already. Rate and review the show wherever you listen to combos court if you're listening on the apple podcast app leave a five star rating and i think it's a follow button on there it's not a subscribe button anymore so punch down on that let me know how you feel about the show on the apple podcast app if that's where you're listening a great way to support this podcast is to join in as a combos court patreon member i'll leave a link in the description for that there's two tiers check it out I mean, share this episode, man. Share it with a friend. Share it on social media, Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook. Share it on your IG stories and tag me at 1-2-Combo. That's O-N-E-T-W-O-C-O-M-B-O on Instagram. Be on the lookout for episode 276. Combo out.